All right. Well, welcome to the eight, everyone. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and I know uh, for, for, for me to, to be talking at the eight, the past couple of weeks have been great as we talk about mental health and has led us in a conversation about mental health. You can check it out on the YouTube channel. But if we re rewind about a few weeks ago, I ended up talking about, let, let, let's take a step back. Most of the time, we talk at the eight about how we can change the inner life, right? That's our focus, is to renew and reset the inner life. But let's face it. You and I deal with annoying people a lot, of the, a lot of the week, either at work, maybe at home, maybe someone who shares the same last name as you. We all deal with annoying people, mean people, foolish people, right? We all have, have come across that. And I shared with you a verse which I promise you might become one of your most favorite verses ever in the Bible. Like, I'm not one of those people that have, like, favorite verses that really resonate with me, but this verse depending on how I'm feeling, really is one of my favorite. And the verse kind of goes like this. This is from the book of Sirach. I saw Sonny and Elsa. This is Sirach right here, right? I've just pulled it out because their son is named Sirach. So the, from the book of Sirach, which is in the Bible, he says this. You should not talk at length with the foolish, and you should not go with, these sense, go with the senseless. Keep yourself from him so that you may not have problems. And glory be to God forever, amen. Right? Wouldn't we want to really go to town with a verse like this? I shouldn't deal with annoying people. See, the Bible says I shouldn't deal with stupid people. So there you go. I'm listening to the Bible. That's why I stopped talking to him. That's why I stopped talking to her. Right? I've said this before. If you want to believe something, you can find a Bible verse to justify what you want. If you want to believe something and do it and, and justify it so you don't feel so guilty, you can find a verse to back up whatever you want. You and I are talking today about fools in our life. We all have people in our life that throw us off balance, that are mean to us, that are just foolish people, right? I'm trying to say it in the most Christian way, right? We deal with a lot of fools in our life, and they throw us off balance. They throw us off balance. I'm sure you had people in your life, like, they say, like, hey, every time you're with that person, you're off. Like, you seem like you're on edge because that person always throws us off. Right? And, and, let's, and you know what comes after that when someone throws us off, when we're off balance because of that mean person, because of that dumb person, because of that foolish person? We overcompensate. Like now we're off balance, right? So now we try to overcompensate by going in the other direction. So we try to find something, maybe a habit, which could be healthy or toxic. We find a habit or find someone who throws us back or who recenters us. But sometimes, like, we're still off balance because of that mean or annoying person. So, what do you do with that annoying person? Option A is you try to get even with them. You try to give it back to them. All right, what well, comes around, goes around. You're doing this? Okay, then I'll behave this way. Sometimes we feel this reflex to behave in the same way. Sometimes we try to ignore that person. But sometimes it's easier said than done, right? Especially if it's someone... Maybe you live with, maybe somebody you work with on a daily basis. You can't run away from, from that person. So what do you do? Mean people, foolish people, they throw us off balance. And nobody knows that better than pre-King David. Most of us think when we think of King David, we think of King David, the prophet and king, may his blessing be with us all, amen. We think of how integral he is to ancient Christianity, to our hymnology, to our psalms, to our chants, to, to, to everything about the Orthodox Church, and in Christianity in general. King David is a big deal. He's a really big deal. But part of his life, which is not really highlighted, understandably so, is pre-King David. Because pre-King David is actually a fugitive David. He's on the go. He's on a run. Why? 
because rumor has it that he has been appointed, actually he's been anointed, to be the future king of Israel. So if you, someone tells me, hey, you're about to become the future king of Israel, guess what the current king is going to do? Hunt you down. So that current king, King Saul, is on a mission to bring down King, bring, well, not King David, to bring down pre-King David before he becomes King David. So, I mean, imagine if you're being hunted, you're always in this continuous stress, you're a fugitive, you end up gathering other people who are on edge as well, other people who are hurt, other people who are also stressed, and that ends up being like King David's, I keep on saying King David, David's posse, that becomes his group of other people around him who are also maybe fugitives as well. So David is on the run, and I want to highlight or recap where we picked up or what we said a few weeks ago, which kind of seems like a very long time ago, but that's why we need to recap it. So a certain man, so think we're going with this narrative, okay, so I need you to stick with me. We got a lot of text today. So once upon a time, there was a man uh, in Moan who had property there at Carmel. He was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, and you and I go, Wow, that is a lot of cash because that's equivalent to what that means. That guy's filthy rich. So, and it came shearing time in Carmel. His name, the filthy rich guy, is Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. We'll get back to Miss Abby in a little bit. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. The author is intentionally putting that on purpose. We'll get back to Abigail. But her husband, Nabal, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David heard it's payday now to kind of shear the sheep. So David's like, oh, sweet, okay, like I need to follow Nabal if he's about to get paid. So he sent 10 young men. So David sent 10 young men and said to them, hey, I, I need you to go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, Nabal, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So King David, or, sorry, I keep on making that mistake. David keeps on telling his friends, hey, go to Nabal and, and, and to be nice to him and, and, you know, be cordial and be respectful to him. Now I hear, and I want you to tell, King David is telling us, sorry, pre-King David, ignore me. <laughs> David keeps on saying, now I hear that it is sheep sharing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, none, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. So David's friends wanted to go to Nabal and says, Listen, Nabal, we've been your neighbor when you had all those thousands of sheep. If we really wanted to, we could have stolen a couple and you wouldn't have noticed a thing. But because we're nice, good people, we decided not to take any of your sheep. But since we've been nice and we've been taking, you know, we didn't do anything to your sheep, we've been neighbors, you know, I was respectful to your land. Now it's coming payday. The least you can do is maybe, you know, give us some cash here, right? We did something nice to you. At least repay the favor. I mean, I'm not asking for too much. I'm not telling you to give me a thousand sheep. I'm not telling you to give me, like, I'm, all I'm asking is you be generous to us just because we've been nice to you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited for Nabal's response. Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I? Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? He's like, what? What, fellas, who are you? Your representatives of who? Your friends with who? Man, I, I owe you nothing. I owe David nothing. Who, like, who are you? Like, you're, you're, you're nothing. 
And who's David? Oh, is that Jesse? That's Jesse's kid? I, I'm not going to waste my time. Like, you know, get out of here. Scram. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. They reported every word as far as Nabal's response, and they said all that to pre-King David. David said to his men, gentlemen, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his own on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. What is David's natural response of someone who wants to pay evil for good? Is a predictable response. David's response is totally predictable. David's saying, oh, okay, I did something nice to you, and now you want to pay back to me with evil? All right, let me, get my, let, me, let me strap on. Gentlemen, let's go. We're going to war. You and I don't go to battle, but we easily want to give back to someone who's mean to us. Like, okay, you do this, then I have every right to do that to you. You talk to me this way, then I'm going to talk to you this way. You bring up this thing from the past, then I have every right to bring up this thing from the past. Right? This is our response. This is our reflex. This is our brokenness. David had just said, you know, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. Then he spiritualizes this. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one of them alive, any male alive who belongs to him. So he prays, Lord, I'm going to give it back to him. And you know what? You're going to be with me. I'm going to pay back. He's, that's just the way he wants to do it? Okay, I'm going to pay back evil for evil. And he justified it. It's, and it makes logical sense to him. And to be honest, for us, it makes logical sense to us. When someone does something mean to us, we want to give it back to him. This is our reflex. So we kind of understand where David is coming from. And this is the question we ended up last time in part one. What story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell a story that you got back to someone the same way they got back to you? <laughs> so what? Everyone has that worldview. What, make, what differentiates you if that's going to be your response to pain and someone hurting you? And this is where we pick up today. So one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife. So here comes, I don't want to say tattletale, but here's someone saying to Nabal, Nabal's wife, it's like, hey, do you know what your husband's doing? Do you, you know what David, you're about to do to your husband? So one of the servants came to Abigail and started saying this. Now think it over and see what you can do. He's telling Abigail, since you're Nabal's wife, think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man, your husband. He's, he's mean. And no one can talk to him. So one of the servants is saying, Abigail, come on. Like, this is your husband. Like, you, can you talk to him? Like, none of us can talk to him. He's so stubborn. Like, he's, he's, he's put up this wall. No one's able to gauge in him in dialogue. He's not open to anything. Can you do something? You're his wife, man. If you can't do anything, then none of us can do anything. Please, try to talk to your husband here. Try to do something about this issue before we all get slaughtered because David's on his way. Abigail acted quickly. I love Abigail. And, I mean, I promise you're going to love her by the end of the story. Abigail acted quickly. So she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed uh, sheep, five seas of roasted grain and a partridge in a pear tree, 100 cakes. So make sure you're paying attention. 100 cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs. So, but that wasn't in there. I'm just wanting you to make sure you're paying attention. Because of cakes and loaded them on donkeys. That is a lot of stuff to donk. And when I read that, the only thing that came to mind is this picture right here. 
all of that is being paddled. So, so Abigail's like, okay, my, my husband is about to get slaughtered. We have an ordeal about to unfold in front of us. Get the donkey here. Put all of this on it. <laughs> so this is what comes to mind. <laughs> I was trying to find this picture because I came across it one time, so I ended up Googling, you know, donkey with a lot of weight, and this is what it came up. So anyway, moving forward. Then she, Abigail, told her servants, go, go on ahead, go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So what is she doing? Putting the food in front of her. I'm not saying bring food to solve any of our issues or an argument in the house or with coworkers. But let's capture the spirit here. Here is Abigail wanting to win the heart of, like, wanting to calm down David before he's about to go into battle. So food is naturally going to, like, we've all been in a situation where we know someone who's been hangry, right? So here is, you know, Abigail sending some food. When you and I deal with conflicts and arguments with our loved one, with someone we can't stand, what is our natural reflex? Is to give it to them, right? Did you see your email that you said? You see your text? You're so disrespectful what you said. We want to jump right into the meat of the issue. Many of you are sick and tired of me hearing this because I bring it a lot in, in confession. When we deal with conflicts, can we use a sandwich model? Like, let's say I have an issue with my wife, Sarah, about I'm not respected in the house. So let's say I bring that up. Instead of me going, you always disrespect me. You always embarrass me. You, you, I, I always feel like a little boy in this, in this house. Instead of me going straight to the issue, by the way, this is theoretical, okay? So instead of me jumping right into the issue, I, I want to use a sandwich model. I want to say, Sarah, I know you're working full time and you're doing a lot and, and I appreciate it. You, you help me a lot in the ministry and, and like I'm grateful for everything that you do and taking care of Ruth. But I want us to talk about something of how I feel. Now I've made a plural. I began with something that opens up the conversation instead of her going, being defensive. Because if I begin with, you always disrespect me, what is her response? It's like this. But if I like, put down her guard and begin it with a conversation that is communal, that I say, I want to talk about something for us to work on together. And I, especially, I man up and say, I feel. I need to be emotionally healthy and say, I feel this. Can we talk about it? Then, that's kind of her putting food out, or that's me putting food into the conversation first, right? Something to kind of soften the dialogue. She fell. Abigail did a prostration and fell at David's feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant, me, Abigail, has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, my husband, Nabal. He is just like his name. Actually, the etymology of his name means fool, and follow goes with him. I'm not saying that you belittle like your husband or your spouse. <laughs> but do you see how she in engages in a conversation by beginning with humility? Like, she's not coming right to the meat of the issue. She hasn't, I mean, no pun intended, she brings meat, she brings food, right? And then she begins with, with humility. You need to understand the cultural context. I'm not saying you do a prostration, right? Of course, we show that external expression in, liturgic, in, in liturgy as far as a prostration of showing humility, that I'm coming below you in order for us to reconcile. So here's Abigail doing this, coming to David and doing a prostration and, and, and bowing before him and beginning with humility. She didn't come say, you see all this food? You see this donkey who can't even, donkey can't even be on his four legs. You see all this food I'm bringing here? You better be grateful for what I'm bringing. Now you need to stop this. Put your sword down. No, Abigail didn't do that. She brought the food, and then she came with humility. 
Abigail continues. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, David, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord, you, be like Nabal. And let this gift, which I'm giving you, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow me. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. If you get nothing out of today's talk, this goes for men and women. Do you talk to the person in which you are trying to reconcile with? Do you elevate them? Do, like, you notice Abigail is talking to David in a way that she wants David to be. I, I'm saying that very poorly. But she's talking to David in the way that, of, of how to elevate David, esteeming him, lifting him up, not belittling him. She's talking like in, in, the, in, in the future, saying of, of the man she wants him to be by honoring him. Do we talk to each other like that? Instead of belittling, do we say something to esteem, to lift up that person? She's casting a vision for his life. She's talking it into existence of him to become this strong man of God who lives for him. She's, he, she is speaking this into existence. Do we do that? Wives, do we do that with our husband? Like, I'm a softie with this. Anytime Sarah will say something that lifts me up, man, I feel, my, my chest comes out a little bit more. This is how we're wired as men. I, I, I don't want to make this a gender thing, but I mean, let's, let's face it. This is how we're wired. When our spouse, instead of putting us down, but when she's, you know, oh my Lord, when Sarah says like, I'm so proud of you, I'm like, oh man, I feel, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like a million bucks. But do we do that? Do we elevate? Do we, do we capitalize on the love language of males and females? I'm speaking very broad in general. Of course, everyone's personality comes into play. But naturally, by God's wiring of genders, what, what resonates with men of husbands is when our wife elevates us. And, and this is exactly what Abigail is doing. And of course, David, typical guy, is falling for it, right? Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, this is Abigail talking about her husband. I, I, I know someone who happens to be my husband. I know he's pursuing you to take your life. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, will, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. You know what she's saying? She's giving this analogy saying, yes, I, 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 I know Nabal's on his way to come and attack you. But do you know, David, your life is sitting literally in the pocket of God? It's sitting in the hand of God? Do you know that your entire life is sitting right in the middle of God's hand? Don't you know that he's in control of everything? And he's going to take care of your enemies, even if that happens to be my husband. But don't you know your whole life is sitting in the palm of God? That's exactly what Abigail is trying to tell David. When the Lord has fulfilled, oh, sorry, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord David will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember me. Don't, you know, don't forget about me, David. I, I, I know God has amazing plans for you. I know God has amazing things for you. 
but don't forget about me either, right? God has amazing plans for you, David. But don't forget about me, your servant. I know that he's going to take the enemies and for you to be able to crush them. I know God has amazing plans for you because you have appointed as being the future king of Israel. But don't forget about me. David said to Abigail, you know, th now think of, think of David. You know, he's hearing all these nice words. He's probably like, all right, keep on going. I like it. Where are you going? Right? He's enjoying this. Especially he's probably eating off the donkey and he's really enjoying this, right? David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. See the humility? When you come with humility, then you're more encouraged to respond back in humility. Like here's Abigail coming with humility, setting the tone of the conversation. David's ready to fight like this. Now here comes Abigail. Like <laughs> I remember in D.C. when Sarah and I were living in D.C., our first year, especially the first year of marriage, and, uh, you know, you know, the first year of marriage is tough, okay? Let's be real, okay? So, you know, I'm coming back into the apartment after dental school, coming, and I know we're going to continue the argument that we, we started the other day before. This is part session two. So I know we're about to walk in, and I know we're going to continue to argue. But sometimes she'll come in and just come and embrace me and give me a big hug. And I'm sitting here ready. I'm, I'm ready to fight. I'm like, I'm, I got my points. I'm ready to, to, to drill and correct myself what I said the other day. I'm ready to argue. But here she comes, like, with a hug, or, or, or a completely different tone, and I'm just like, wait, what, what happened? And he, that, that's exactly what Abigail did. She came with humility. And what was David's response? Is he with humility? And David ends up honoring her. Hurt people hurt people. Wise people help other people become wise. <laughs> Doesn't sound as attractive. But you know what I'm saying. Hurt people hurt people. Humble people help others build the virtue of humility. You get what I'm saying. Otherwise, uh, sorry, let me, where are we going? Uh, yeah, so David is speaking and kind of elevating Abigail. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by Delbert. He comes a typical man. If you had come right now, man, I would have killed all these people right here. That's exactly what David's saying. He still wants to show that he's, he's in control. He's macho man. Abigail, if you didn't come right now, I promise you, I would have whooped all of them. I would have killed all of them. I promise you that. Right? He wants to show that he's still dominant. Right? So that's exactly what he's saying. Then David accepted from her, from her hand, what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the, in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and super drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. This is another good words of wisdom. Sometimes we want to argue now. We want to have this conversation now. It's okay. Wait for the right time in which both like, say, hey, Sarah, pumpkin, whatever. Can we find a time for us to sit and talk this out together? Like I know there's still some tension we didn't finish talking. When's a good time? Can we talk about it tomorrow right when you finish work? Like set a time so that way you're mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared for the conversation. So here Abigail's wanting to talk to her husband, Nabal. But, you know, Nabal obviously is not in the right state of mind. He's super drunk, right? Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him and he became like a stone. Ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Yeah, sorry. I know. Yeah. So, you know. Don't worry, there's a good ending. But I'm saying, like, here, Abigail's giving Nabal, like, the news of, like, hey, I just ended up talking to the guy that was about to kill you, and, like, 
and, and Nabal, because of his anger, like he wanted to, to pay evil for evil, right? That was his mindset. And now he's being hit with good. He can't process it because his nature is to respond with evil with evil to the point that whatever, he got hypertension, heart attack, whatever you want to name it. Eight, ten days later after receiving the news, he couldn't take it. He couldn't t stand the idea of repaying good for evil. He ended up dying. And I promise you, I'm not making up the next part. You can, this is the Bible, obviously, you can check it yourself. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept a servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Again, typical guy. Him dying, he has kept me from, I was about to kill him anyway, but God did it fine. I say I was about to do it anyway, but God already killed him. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. And David proposes, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's just the times, that's just how things flowed back then, all right? So David ends up marrying Abigail. You have Nabal, you have David, and you have Abigail. Here are your three main characters. David, I mean, sorry, Nabal is wanting to pay evil for good. David was doing something good, but he wanted to repay evil for good. David response, which is predictable, which is something you and I lean toward, is to pay back evil for evil. All right, you don't want to give me any of your sheep for everything I did good? Fine. The natural response is for me to respond back with evil. That's predictable. You and I are not called to live predictable lives. You and I are called for something so much more. You and I are called to respond in the way Abigail did, responding good for evil. What story do you want to tell? I wrote one question for myself. Am I an Abigail to others? And am I open to inviting others to be an Abigail to me? Let me explain. Uh, sorry, I guess that's two questions. Am I an Abigail to others? Do I come with the same boldness of Abigail to try to relieve some of the tension that might exist in an argument? Like Abigail came right in the middle of Nabal and David to, to reconcile, to reconnect. Am I an Abigail to others? Or do I say, oh, that's their problem. I'm going to stay out of it. You know, they got to deal with it. Or do I try to become an Abigail and, and, and to bring peace and reconciliation? My second question, am I open to inviting others to be an Abigail to me? David could have easily, when he saw an Abigail coming with the donkey, with all that food, David could be like, Psh, I got a mission, I got to kill a bunch of people. You know, I, I don't got time for you and your food. Don't try to fool me with that food. I'm not, don't talk to me, Abigail. She, she, he could have easily said that. Do you and I have Abigails in our life who can say, hey, maybe what you did or said or wrote the other day wasn't the best? Do you invite people who can correct you, can edify you? Is there, a, is there an invitation of humility from your end for an Abigail to be part of your life? Or do you just put on like a, you know, you, you're, oh, you're always, everything is fine. I don't need anyone to correct me. They don't know where I'm coming from. They don't get me. They don't understand my story. And you just brush off an Abigail who might come to make your life a little bit easier. Am I an Abigail to others? And am I open to inviting others to be an Abigail to me? This is the Christian worldview. This is what you and I are called to embrace the tension every day. What does love require of me? How do I avoid the tension of, of repaying evil for evil? 
elevate myself and embrace the tension to respond good for evil. This is what your Savior and my Savior invites us to be a light to others. Let us embrace this tension and let us live this out to push ourselves to respond good for evil. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, our brokenness, our selfishness, our ego points us in the direction of responding in the same way Nabal did, wanting to respond in the same way as David. But Lord, we thank you for giving us this narrative, this Jewish history, for us to know and be, and be inspired by the life of Abigail, for us to be able to push ourselves to respond good to evil, of how we can bring reconciliation, connection, healing, not only for our inner life personally, but for those around us. We want to come to you with humility. We want to invite others to edify and correct us to avoid pain and regret in our life. Lord, I ask that you always give us this zeal and clarity for us to live for you and for always to be, you know, sharpened and edified by others around us. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We'll have the eight next Sunday as well.